0: Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters.
1: I will always um, start my day with um, some form of meditation and some form of exercise, so I already feel like I've accomplished something first thing in the morning.
0: Hey, my name is Felix, I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn who you should market to when selling a giftable product, how to manage and keep your influencer marketing organized, and how to design your content marketing by observing your competitors. Today I'm joined by Johnny Cass of Stoneman. Stoneman is the maker of uh, design-led men's and women's underwear and was started in 2008 and based out of Byron Bay. Welcome, Johnny.
1: Hey, Felix. Lovely to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. So, tell us a bit more about the business. Like, What are these uh, special underwears, I guess, that, that you guys design and sell?
1: Yeah, great. Um, well, yeah, Stoneman, I guess, has been around since about uh, 2008 and you know, my business partner, who's the, the, a designer, a photographer, um, you know, one day realized that there was no comfortable undies in the world. He went to, um, you know, one of our major department stores, saw that there was no interesting, exciting underwear. And well, long story short, he decided to put beautiful images on beautiful fabrics and create beautiful underwear and, and rid the world of boring, dull underwear.
0: Got it. So, were you guys working together before? How did you? How did this business relationship uh, come about?
1: No, 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 not at all. I mean, Mark uh, happens to be uh, the good friend of one of my, well, my best friend. And um, you know, it's a. I mean, some of your listeners is probably too. You know, too early for them to remember this the Gillette story that he loved the razor blades so much that he bought the company. Well, um, Mark, Mark, my business partner, showed me these new underwear that he came up with. And I was like, oh, my God, I love them. They're amazing. And um, before you know it, I'm investing in the company, a little bit of money. And then before you know it, I'm also investing time and money into the company. So it was a case of seeing the product and falling in love with the product and having that entrepreneurial spark and belief that this product um, was going to actually work.
0: Got it. So, of course, and everyone eats underwear, but when you sit down and think about your target customer, who you're really going after, how would you describe them? Like, what is the the ideal customer for Stoneman?
1: Yeah, um, great, great question, and and that's almost like the leading from yeah. Well, it's it's really great to see this product and go, oh wow, I really love this product. It's beautiful. But then, yes, once you have that entrepreneurial spark, for want of a better word, then you need to definitely say and ask yourself those questions. Well, who is our target market? Would people actually buy the product just because I like the product? And uh, there's a whole bunch of metrics and a whole bunch of things that go with that. But to answer your question, our customers are generally, and it's, it's always a constant evolution and we're always looking at it, but generally our customer is somebody who is design savvy has an appreciation for beautiful design. And currently, um, we sit in the gift market as well. So our product is a perfect gift. Um, so generally, we, we do probably about 50 to 60% of our trade um, leading up to Christmas time. And then, of course, your peak sale times, which would include things like Easter, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's, they're typically our big sales spikes in our um in our business.
0: Mm. So, did you know going into this that you were going to target uh, customers that are of the type of people that would appreciate good design, appreciate a, you know well designed prints on, on on underwear, or did you develop an understanding for that that over time?
1: Um, yeah, well, will see. It's the old saying really, Felix, isn't it? Uh, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> and um, we developed it over time. So again it was a case of you know we love the product and then actually identifying who in the market would also appreciate that product and then again, would they actually be willing to purchase the product? There's a the difference between them saying, yeah, I really love the underwear, but am I actually willing to part with 40 39 um, US dollars for the, for the article?
0: Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, you might love the product; you obviously did, and uh, your your partner obviously loved the product that he was designing as well. Uh, how did you test, or how did you come to 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 learn that people would pay money, or you know, like you're saying, pay almost forty U.S. dollars for for your products?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a fair bit of work that's going gone into that, and you know, we're always kind of tweaking that a little bit as well. But there was definitely. Um, there was a time there probably about, uh, you know, maybe four years ago, yeah, I'd say about three, four years ago, where in essence we were kind of hit a bit of a plateau, we were looking at pricing structures and so we, we sent a survey out to our, um, to our customers and our, our database and asked them what was their price point, what would you be willing to pay, what would you want to have changed? And as a result of that, you know, we developed a new product line which was, you know, the, the comfort of the product um, but not necessarily with the digital prints. So we're, we're, we're communicating with our customers as much as what we can and getting feedback. Now, you might also say, well, four years ago was a long time. Uh, yeah, it is a long time, but, you know, we're always talking to our customers either by email or one-on-one conversations, also looking in the marketplace. You know, what's the competition doing in the marketplace? And then, of course, our own production costs to actually produce the goods um, with our own margins as well. So there's quite a few different variables um, to be able to get the price point right.
0: Yeah, is that what you recommend other entrepreneurs if they are unsure of the pricing or if there's a good fit between their product and their target customers is to just send out, was it like an email or something to your, your your existing customer base asking them these survey questions?
1: Yeah, totally. I, we used, um, I think it was SurveyMonkey, and, you know, we were looking to go to that next evolution, like we put the product in place, we felt we had a pretty good product, we changed the elastic, we did a few things here and there, and we felt that it was really time to get feedback from our audience, and and that was absolutely invaluable because some of the things that we thought we were doing really brilliantly, we got feedback that we weren't. Um, That might have been customer service, for example, or, you know, our shipping costs might have been deterring people from buying. So it's just really good to communicate with your tribe, with your customer base. Um, Not too much because then that becomes a bit annoying as well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because you just get into your own head about what you think is right and, you know, you think that you're the customer. Well, that's not necessarily the case at all.
0: Right. Now, when you, like you're saying, sometimes you spend too much time, you know, quote unquote, in the office and not being out into the real world and interacting and bumping shoulders with your actual customers. And you mentioned as well that you're always constantly getting this kind of feedback. Uh, do you recommend if you were, if you are to, you know, I guess put up a kind of a best practice on how often should you be sending out these kind of surveys to, to get a, a feelers out for your market?
1: Well, I would you know it, I would think it would really depend on the circumstances, but I would you know for us, it's maybe once every couple of years. It really also depends on the relationship that you you have with your customers as well. So for us at the moment, one of the key things that we're trying to do is figure out different ways always to be talking to our customers so that you're not so annoying. They, they want to, you know, unsubscribe you or that you just become, you know, just another ping in their inbox. But at the same time, I'm not sending out enough contact that they ignore you as well. So I don't know if there's an exact science on it. But, you know, I would reckon once a year, every 18 Mm -hmm. months, sort of, you know, check in, see how things are going.
0: Right. Now, like you're you're alluding to these customers, you don't want to annoy them. They don't have much time and you don't want to ask them for too much that they might not answer at all. If you were to sit down and put together an email, put together a survey, for your situation, like what are some of the top three questions that you would love to know the answer to when you get the opportunity to talk to your customer?
1: Um, well, obviously, you want to know what, what we're doing right. So what, what do you love about our product? What do you love about us? Um, why do you buy our product? What's your main reason for buying? Um, and the third thing would be what, what could we do better? So when we did our survey, like I said a little while ago, one of the feedback that we get, and we still consistently get it actually, is um, that they love the product, they love the comfort of the product, you know, and we find that that is, generally speaking, what is right about our customers is once they get that product, we have a very loyal customer base. Um, But what they wanted to see more of was more designs, more unique designs, more regularly. So uh, that was really great because from there on, we consistently now bring out designs roughly um, about three times, three to four times a year.
0: Mm. And when they answer that question about the reason why they buy, how do you use that data? What do you What do you do once you find out, you know, some themes that are going on with the reasons why people buy from you?
1: Well, number one, it also tells you who they who is buying. So again, we might think that our customer is a very design focused customer, but actually, what we were finding out was that our customers were typically mums who were buying uh, presents for their sons or uh, wives who were buying gifts for their husbands. So all of a sudden now you're targeting, you're doing your marketing in a very different approach. So you go, hang on a minute, are we talking to somebody who's design-focused or are we talking to a mother Or a wife who happens to be design focused, who wants to see her husband in a lovely pair of underwear or wants to buy a great gift. So it really becomes a much more targeted approach about how you speak to people, where you contact people and our marketing in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point about when your product is, is such a, a giftable product that, that most of your sales come from, or a lot of your sales at least come from your customers that are buying as a gift for someone else. When you know that, do you spend more time marketing towards that end customer, the person that's going to ultimately receive the gift, or would you spend more time getting the the, the, the buyer's attention, the person that might not actually end up using it, but is going to be the one that first you know, interacts with your brand and the first one to buy it for someone else.
1: Yeah, the, the, um, obvious answer to that is both actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you, you know, with underwear and I guess with, you know, well, I don't know about a lot of products, but certainly with underwear, you know, people don't think about underwear a lot. Um, they want to make it easy. And so therefore they tend to stick to one brand so what you want to do is get a new customer, obviously, as, uh, as inexpensively as you can, and at the same time keep that new customer. So, for example, we, um, you know, we have uh, not only online but we have um, a wholesale division as well. So typically our wholesale will bring us in new customers as well as online marketing strategies. But then we collect emails from people, we will put um you know, a um, opt-in option on the website. Um, When people get the underwear, we give them a discount to buy new underwear within the packaging itself. So we try and obviously get that new customer and then keep that end user as well. And typically the product also, fortunately in our case, tends to sell itself. So, You know, we also, for example, do, you know, the big design market once a year. So that's our also ability to get out there and meet our customers face to face and get from uh, away from just being behind the computer screen. And, you know, we get our customers that come back and say, oh, I saw you here last year. I bought this for my husband. He absolutely loves them. Or, you know, we get the, the guys coming, oh, my wife bought me these last year. They're the best undies ever. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll buy them. And so I know that sounds like a little bit of an ad, but that kind of is the truth. We generally know that when we get a customer, we keep our customers.
0: Mm, that, that you, so you mentioned that you have a product and you're thankful for having a product that, that sells itself. And I've heard other entrepreneurs talk about this too, that they have a product that, that sells itself. What, what does that mean in your case? Like how, how, how can a, a product be one that it sells itself versus one that requires a little bit more effort from the, 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 uh, the owner?
1: Well, again, let me. Uh, it still requires effort. Um, and the effort is getting that new customer um, where it sells itself is, I guess, in the the craft and the work that this is my, that my business partner um, has actually done over years and years of putting the product together um, and trial and error and making mistakes. So I think we've definitely got to the point where we have a really great product and, um, once the, once we get a customer, they're typically pretty loyal to us. Like they'll, they'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm switching over to this brand now. So from that point of view, uh, the product sells itself. Once it's gotten into someone's, into someone's hands, the, the effort comes though because it's freaking underwear and nobody sees it. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so
1: you've got to, you've got to be really creative about how you try and get that product seen because um, it's not like a T-shirt that you could give to a celebrity, or it's not like a new jacket or a pair of jeans or a pair of trainers that people are looking at. You know, it's underwear, and, and there are some some challenges with that for sure.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how how you overcome the these challenges of selling a product that that can't be essentially advertised that well by the end user?
1: Yeah, um, and that's something that we're constantly working on. So. You know like if you had a massive budget you could probably uh, afford to endorse a, a celebrity or you know a product generally you know can kick off when a celebrity happens to be wearing that product and so with underwear it's, it's a bit trickier to do that but we definitely do reach out to uh influencers by instagram for example and we'll send them products so you've got to find someone, in our case anyway, um, that is happy to be photographed in underwear. So it just requires different creativity. So we might even work with modelling agencies and find um, models who are on the rise and, again, also have a good following on their Instagram and their social media because, at the end of the day, the more eyeballs that we get on the product – the more people that will come to the website and eventually hopefully convert. And then when they convert, then hopefully love the product and continue to keep buying the product. So you just got to come up with creative ways to get the product seen. And and luckily for us as well, um, it is a beautiful product and my business partner happens to be a great photographer. So we're constantly doing our best um, to push out content. Mm.
0: yeah, I definitely want to talk about content in, in a bit., uh, but uh, now with the influencers, I've certainly heard of entrepreneurs reaching out to influencers directly the through Instagram by themselves. But this may be the first time I've heard of someone working with a modeling agency, but it makes a lot of sense, especially in in your industry, of course in fashion. Talk to us about that. How does that work? How do you how do you how, you, how does one work with a modeling agency?
1: So what you, so you would either look at the modeling agencies or you would go onto uh, a modeling website. So for example, Model Mayhem is one that we have here in Australia and you either get photographers or you get models who are obviously looking to, you know, collaborate and do photo shoots. So I might find a photographer that's got a relatively good following and might, it's as simple as almost like an influencer saying, hey, love your work. So you've got to make sure that the style of photography is, is you know, preferably um, somewhat in alignment with our brand and say, hey, would you like some product to shoot for any of your upcoming models? Um, and then, again, it's the same with the models. Hey, I really love your work. Um, you know, would you love some product um, to shoot for one of your upcoming photo shoots? Um, so it's kind of a bit of a win-win all round. Like it's a it's a low-cost marketing exercise for us. Uh, the model wins because they don't necessarily have the money to always be buying new outfits for um, photographic shoots. The photographer wins because he's made, looking for product to shoot with as well. Uh, they post on their social media. We get more eyeballs on ours. We can repurpose the content um, for them from our social media. So it's kind of a nice collaborative process.
0: Got it. So these are basically models or photographers that are already planning to do a shoot. And now you're asking if you can help contribute, help add value to their shoot by giving them one of your, your products. So is there some kind of like business arrangement or deal that happens between you and the agency, or is it more of kind of a handshake deal that, that you're offering, you know, these free such a products for them?
1: Yeah, it's usually more a handshake kind of deal, and um, you know, you, you, there is a process that that goes in place. You kind of, you know, obviously get, get in touch with the person. You want to nurture that relationship as much as what you can with constant communication. Um, you know, if there's any money exchange, which happens occasionally, there's you know some sort of almost you know a document contractual arrangement about our expectations and their expectations Um, but generally speaking the level that we're playing at and we're consciously choosing to play at that level is where it's really just a handshake you know we're not talking about people here that have got like let's say you know a million followers or 300 you know like you know 600,000 followers because usually that model or that photographer is really in it just mostly for themselves Whereas if you get somebody who's let's just say got fifty thousand or sixty thousand followers, or even less, it's really about the engagement that they have, and they're they're happy to work to help each other out if that makes sense.
0: Mm, so, what what kind of engagement statistics do you, do you look at when you are evaluating which influencers to work with?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a few <laughs> there's a few different variables. I mean, obviously. You know, Instagram is probably one of the main areas that we're focusing on at the minute, just because that's where our focus happens to be at the minute. I mean, there's so many different places you can be playing at, um, but I'm looking at the, let's say, the number of, number of followers that they have. Um, but not only am I looking at the number of followers that they have, but I'm also looking at then the engagement and the comments that they're getting from that um, from their, their people because somebody can have a, a really great following but they've got no comments so therefore they've really got no engagement with their audience. Um, and not only that but I'm also looking at, believe it or not, what their, the story of their Instagram is. So it's very easy to find, let's say, a, a guy who's got 60,000, 100,000 followers um, but he might be like, you know, no, no offence or anything, like it's just not our demographic, he might have like a a really an an online workout kind of a guy or a real muscle guy and we go well that's not quite in alignment with our brand Mm -hmm. um now we might do that occasionally just to try something different and just to get again a product on a slightly different demographic but generally we i will look at are they a bit fashion orientated what's the style of photography what's this person's story about Mm -hmm. um and, and then make a decision based around that
0: Got it. So obviously, a, a pretty good amount of work. It's not just kind of spraying and pray, and work work with a bunch of influencers. You spend time digging through their profiles, making sure that they are on brand and they have the demographic that you're going after. Uh, how many influencers do you try to work with on a, you know on an ongoing basis?
1: Um, again, at the moment, like, and the reason why I do that is because when I worked with influence, probably probably a couple of years ago. Uh, I didn't do it very well. I just randomly sent out product to everyone and anyone who did have some numbers. And then I went, hang on a minute, this is this is not very strategic at all. Um, but generally, if I'm sending out at the moment, just because we're running a pretty solid Instagram campaign, if I'm sending out, let's say, to 40 influencers, uh, yeah, between about 30 to 40 influencers a month, uh, that's pretty substantial.
0: Got and how do you um, manage all that? I think you know thirty to forty is pretty, pretty significant, right? You have to keep track of everyone, making sure everyone's essentially delivering on, on their end of the the deal. How do you how do you uh, keep all of this organized?
1: Yeah, it is a um, it is you know it becomes a, a pretty um, cumbersome process, and you know I, you know I'm going to do a plug for Shopify here because I'm going to do a plug. Um, Shopify actually makes it um, relatively very easy to do all of that. So, you know, within the Shopify site, you put the order through. We tag that particular order as an influencer, and you know, thanks to Shopify automation, I just I just look at all the influencers that are out there. You know, I've got an Excel sheet with the communication with them so there is definitely a process that needs to happen it's not oh let me contact this influencer because he's a really nice guy they're a really nice guy They're just going to post for us no you've got to actually follow through how is that you know how's that have you got the product um and you know keep them emotionally engaged with it have you got the product When are you planning on posting and then sometimes they, they post a picture and it's really disappointing and um you've got to give them a little bit of a brief around what you're expecting and what you're not expecting
0: how does that go over you know because like you're saying these are typically or sometimes handshake deals and and they aren't maybe contractually obligated to do what you want them to do how do you work with an influencer in those situations
1: Well, again, uh, the interesting thing is, again, when I first started doing it, you know, just because I'm a relatively nice guy anyway, I I, I at first was like, oh, they'll just do it out of the niceness of their, Mm -hmm. you know, because they just, you know. But the reality is it's actually, at the end of the day, a business transaction. So even if there is money exchanged or no money exchanged, I'm still giving them product and I've still Mm -hmm. put time and energy into making this thing happen, which is a win for them because they're getting new product on their page and they're getting actually a really beautiful uh, product as well. So we just had an influencer post for us the other day. I think he had something like about 16,000 views on the product and, um, you know, a lot of people commented on the product that he was wearing. So it's good for them. So it is fundamentally a business transaction and they are actually still working for me um on a contractual basis even if there's no money exchange so I hate to say it, but I'm the client and
0: they're the, um, yeah, I'm the client in this instance. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes you, uh, can't be too nice or right? you have to actually see that you are giving them value You're not just asking them for a favor. And because it is, if you're delivering value, you should expect value given back to you as well. I think that's certainly a mindset that, that entrepreneurs should get into. Um, now, uh, now when you, when you run these campaigns, do you have a, a method of measuring success? Like how do you know if a particular influencer is essentially successful or worth working with? Again,
1: yeah, that's a, a really great question, and it's almost like a never-ending question, really. But um, and, and it really depends on the influencer. So some, inf- and, we, and we've tried different strategies. So some influencers, uh, and by the way, you know, I read an article, I can't remember where it was the other day, but anybody who has more than I think it's 2,000 followers is considered to have some sort of influence um, in the in the social media world. So whether you wanna question that or not, that's in, that doesn't really matter. Um, but how do we measure them is, well, it really depends. Some people don't want their followers to know that they're being given a product. So it's kind of just a hashtag or they might just mention it. And in those instances, it's a little bit trickier to measure the results. Um, Again, Shopify does a lot of that work for us. So, you know, the influencer will tell me when they're about to post. And, uh, you know, Shopify will tell me how many people have visited our site. So typically uh, within a 24 hour period of somebody posting, um, I will see whether there has been a spike or not. So that is obviously one measurement. Then the other measurement as well is, well, it's one thing then to see if there's a spike in the traffic is then to see if that actually transfers to obviously a sale. So it's one thing to drive traffic to the site. It's then another thing to close the sale. Um, The other way is even, again, so you might work with somebody and give them a code, so a specific code Mm -hmm. that works with that influencer, and then you can also see who um, purchased from that code. Now, usually for us, I find that that doesn't really typically work for us or I haven't really made that work for us. I find that just giving product and then driving the traffic to the site Giving them their $10 off on their initial opt-in purchase um, seems to work pretty well for us, or at the very least, they've opted in and we have potentially acquired a new customer. So there's a, a few different measurements there.
0: It, it, do you find that it, it might not work that well when, you, when it's almost like a blatant, here's a coupu, here's a discount code, go to stoneman.com? Do you find that that doesn't work as well because it's too much of an ad and doesn't seem as organic? Like, what's your reasoning behind, or what, I guess, what's your observation on why that might not perform as well as, as the, the more kind of subtle approach?
1: Yeah. So uh, I said that doesn't work for us. And um, I think one of the main reasons why it it doesn't work for us is number one, what you just said, then exactly Felix, it's a bit forced, it's a bit contrived. And I think that, um, you know, people who are looking on Instagram, uh, if they're going to buy something, you would just do an Instagram ad or something like that. But I also think for us as well, I think the only people that seem to be doing that relatively well, and I'm exploring this possibility, but we're not there at the minute, uh, are those who would give like a really heavy discount. So, you know, use the code and get up to 60% off um, your first purchase of Stoneman or whatever it might be. But the truth is we're not really a discount product. We're a premium product, so I don't want to get into – the heavy game of, you know, discounting at 60% in order to acquire new customers. Number one, we don't have the margins for that. And number two, I don't want to be that type of a business that just relies on discounting all the time. Our product doesn't really, I mean, we have certainly have key times when we have sale times, but I don't want that to be the thing about us that we're competing on price. No, what we want people to do is buy into our story, buy into our brand, um, buy into the the Comfort of the product um, and work at that level there. It's like asking, I don't mean to sound like a wanker or whatever, but it's like asking Louis Vuitton to always be discounting. So we're a premium product, we're not a discount product.
0: Mm, makes sense. Now you, you mentioned earlier about how your, your product is, you're, you're, you're sitting in the gift gifting market. Your product is, uh, uh, is sold very often during the, the holiday shopping season. Uh, what, what, what do you, what do you think makes your product a, a essentially a giftable product? You know, cause usually when I see, Giftable products—they they're usually cheaper, you know—they fall into like you know ten or twenty dollar range. Your products, are of course, premium, like you said, and they look premium and they have command premium prices. What do you think makes it a, a, your product something that works well as a, as a gift?
1: Um, okay, well, yeah, if you think about it, um, underwear is typically uh, bought, you know, when once a year, maybe twice a year, right? Or unless you're a bit of an underwear kind of you know that's your thing maybe you got a bit of a thing for underwear um and that price point of coming up with a high quality spin on a predictable christmas product for example i think makes it appealing so you know we get a lot of people that see the product and like oh my god well i was going to buy him underwear anyway yeah they're a little bit more expensive but they're really unique and they're really different so they'll, they'll grab one pair and then we'll, we'll retain that customer for a while. It's also one of the reasons why we bought out our essential range and because that does sit at a lower price point, still with the same comfort, but not necessarily with the unique print, which ends up costing us more because of the waste, uh, the yardage wastage. So I guess for us as a gift, this, to answer your question, is because it's a tried and true gift. Like women buy underwear for their husbands, women buy underwear for themselves and it sits at that price point where I think they're willing to take the risk because it is so different.
0: Got it. So the, you're, you're basically saying that people are already gifting underwear. You've yeah. just now come with a better gift for them to give to someone.
1: Yeah. So they used to, like, the, you know, the husbands or whoever at Christmas time or Valentine's or whatever it might be, are used to getting a, a pair of underwear, but how nice to go, oh my God, I bought you, look at these and how beautifully designed they are, because I hate to say it, you know, but there is nobody who's doing what we're doing because we use a complete 360 degree wraparound image on our underwear, which is partly also the reason why it's expensive because underwear just generally throws a pattern together, whereas we have a complete image and there's actually nobody that's doing that in the marketplace.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely a premium product just by looking at it. Uh, now, you, you mentioned uh, we talked about influencers already as a way for you to to uh, get new customers to reach new customers. You mentioned as well offline about content marketing being a key driver for your your business. So, what kind of other content do you do you focus on creating to to attract new customers?
1: Yeah, um, and this is a conversation that we really this year. You know we're a little bit slow. I think. I think the great thing about some of your listeners, hopefully, is you know when you're when you're young and you're fresh. And the great thing, a great, again, the great thing about Shopify is, is there's just so much available to you on the Shopify site. Like we had a site before this one that wasn't Shopify. It wasn't automated. All the different pieces weren't working together, made it a complete nightmare. And so we were at that point in time, you know, an underwear company trying to sell online. Whereas now the headspace is shifted to, to some degree, and well, this is what we, you know, what we're exploring is that we are, happen to be a digital media company, or we happen to be a content company that happens to sell underwear. And I think that's a kind of a little bit of a headspace difference. You know, our, our focus for so long has been the product, the product, the product, and getting the product right. Now that we've got that right, I think it's just about going. We've got to just deliver the content because it doesn't matter how right the product is if you're not out there and people aren't seeing the product or talking about the product, it is completely pointless. So then, to answer your question. You know, we do that in a multitude of different ways. So call our own high-level content. So, again, my business partner is a photographer. So organising, you know, like a proper campaign, uh, ideally once a month and a proper shoot at least once a month. But then also sending out an EDM to your um, people in our database or posting images on Instagram that aren't necessarily product-related but more story-related and brand-building-related Um, you know, they're just some of the ways that we get people or or just small campaigns or a a small EDM that isn't a small story related. So that is the constant process of figuring out how to be talking to people, how to create content that's not just, hey, let me sell you a product.
0: So, so you mentioned, you said EDM, What, what is that?
1: Um, so EDM is like a, it's like electronic direct mail. So in other words, talking to your database, so, Um, You know, talking to our database, it could be one electronic email that goes out that's sale related, another one that's about our story, another one that's a focus on our product, Um, another one that can be completely not related to our product at all, but might have something to do with our brand. So it's it's basically those emails that we all get in our inboxes.
0: Got it. So you're you're basically shifting the business and going moving away from just a company that sells products to now creating more of a story, creating more of a lifestyle first, and then happens to and the, the customers if they want to participate in this lifestyle, they might happen to want to buy your products. And in this case, your your your, your underwear products. So what was that shift like? How did you When did this start happening and what were the first steps towards going in that direction?
1: Yeah, well, that started happening for us, like I said, this year. And I think the main reason for that was because up until this year, we realized that our growth has been pretty organic. um, But organic will only get you to a certain place. And the other thing as well is that the online, um, the e-commerce world has changed quite a fair bit. So I think when we but, I mean, we've been around for a while now, and that's a, a testament to the work that's gone in, but we've, it's been freaking scary. Let's not let's not sugarcoat that either. Um, but the online e-commerce world has changed now, and again, partially to Shopify as well because it's made it so much easier for people to get online. Um, but at the same time, it's a lot noisier. So once upon a time where it could just be organic, Um, you have to be a bit more strategic now. And if you want to see the real growth and if you really want to challenge yourself within the business, you definitely need to be more strategic within your approach. So that started for us this year where we said, no, we really want to ramp things up. Um, We have to be more strategic about how we do it.
0: Got it. So you decided to, to move beyond, take the next step after organic growth and start building more content to surround your, your brand. Now, how did you know what kind of content to, to focus on? Especially since you just started this year. I think a lot of listeners out there might want to take the same approach and they don't know where to begin. How would, how did you begin toward uh, the steps towards creating content to surround your brand?
1: Yeah, and that's an awesome question. And, you know, the, the, the current answer at the minute is we haven't perfected it yet. And I'll tell you why in our instance. Um, you know, I've got a, a business partner that has, who's amazing and is wonderful and great. He's the creative drive in our business. I tend to be probably more the sales focus and the marketing focus. And so, Sometimes there's a, a clash there between me just saying we need to get some content out, uh, just anything that's you know still relatively good content, um, and related to the brand. Whereas he's very wants to be very precise, wants to have only high quality stuff. So. The the simple answer to that is we're still perfecting that. We're still working on that. And the other answer to that is I'm also looking at what other companies are doing and not necessarily direct competitors, but also outside of our direct competition, people who I would consider to have a similar brand value and looking at what they're doing and what I like about them and what I also don't like, like about those and not doing those things as well. So really piggybacking off other people as well.
0: Got it. So you, you don't necessarily have to, you're certainly not copying your competitors. You're looking at them to see not just what you like to do, but also what you want to steer away from. I think that's an important point. I think a lot of times when when a brand owners start looking for for inspiration, they just look for what they like, but not what they want to do, essentially the opposite of. Uh, now you, you're creating the content, which I think is just, you know, part of that work. I think what's equally and maybe even harder is to get people to pay attention to the content that you've created. What's been the most effective channel or platform or method for you to get the, the eyeballs on the content that, that you guys are, you know, cre- hard at work creating?
1: Yeah. I mean. I would love to say, and I, I think I imagine that the listeners are on the on this call right now, and I know that when I listen to podcasts, I sometimes want to look for that that silver bullet, that one thing that's gonna you know it's gonna make everything turn and change in my business when I just get that one breakthrough. Um, and for my experience, it's just unfortunately not always that simple. so the 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 short answer is uh, we use a, a multifaceted approach. so, You know, Facebook ads, um, retargeting campaigns, Instagram influencers, um, the electronic emails that go out, as well as having some wholesale product in stores for people to visually see that also drives traffic to our site. Uh, Competition and collaborating with other e-commerce businesses. So you're, again, seeing a different market that might not have seen your product before, but is in alignment with our brand. So it, it, it has to be... Uh, with the resources that you have, because I appreciate that sometimes you might not necessarily have a lot of money. So you just got to come up with it, be creative. It has to be, in my opinion, a, a multifaceted approach, because there have definitely been times when we've just gone down the path of let's just retarget with the Facebook ads. And yes, that works. But there's also a whole bunch of other things that we could be doing as well to make it all kind of work together.
0: I think it definitely does. I think it's, um, like you're saying, we want this magic bullet, but I think it's also comforting to know that you're. it takes lots of different steps and lots of different iterations so that you're not feeling like you're missing out on something, right? There's nothing special that you're missing out on. It just requires lots of work and lots of trial and error. I mean, it also depends a lot on the business, of course, the product and the, the industry that you're in. Uh, Now I want to talk about mindset because you you mentioned something very uh, I think um, poignant during uh, you know offline which and you said this is a kind of quote from you that you know technical skills of marketing social media and sales are critical and can be learned. But none of that matters without having the right headspace to navigate the ups and downs of business. So talk to us a little bit more about this. Like what kind of challenges or what is maybe the most uh, challenging thing that you've had to that have tested you, that has tested you the most uh, mentally? How did you overcome it?
1: Um, well, I think um, you know it's an interesting one because I'm—I mean—I'm making an assumption here that a lot of people that get into an e-commerce business, especially I'm going to imagine like you know a younger generation. I hate to say it now, but I'm like in my mid-40s, um, and like a younger generation look at the leverage that you get out of an e-commerce business, and it's tremendous leverage. Like all of a sudden geographic borders are no longer an issue for you. And so there's a lot of excitement that goes with where an e-commerce business can take you. And um, But what people don't necessarily anticipate are the potential day-to-day challenges, and they can be financial challenges. Yes, you, we might be, you know, moving product to 48 countries around the world, but how do we cash flow that to then place our next order? So, It's really about navigating the ups and downs that comes with with a business. Like you might invest a few thousand dollars into a campaign and you might be, yeah, this is the thing that's going to push us to the next level. And it might be your last few thousand dollars that you have and it just fizzes out. And so how do you keep going with that? Or the opposite to that is when all of a sudden you've got a half a million dollars in the bank, but you now know that the next three to six months of trading are going to be really quiet and and not getting too elated at the same time. Or, you know, when you're watching potentially your friends who are going to work on a Monday to Friday, nine to five and collecting a regular income, how do you manage that? Or even the fact that, you know, yes, e-commerce and technology has enabled us to Uh, work remotely like you're currently in New York I'm currently in Sydney I have business partners in Byron Bay but I can't turn around to my business partner and and ask him a real quick question immediately so there's a sense of isolation that goes with that so there's, there's a lot of different things that have to be considered that we don't consider at first and I think the anxiety at at nighttime of going, gosh, I haven't made any sales today. No money came in and I've got to pay for the order that I just paid for. So how do you manage all of those challenges?
0: Right. The mindset is is truly the foundation that everything else can be built off of. And I think one key thing that you mentioned, you know, we hear all the time about how you don't want to let the, essentially the the downturns get away from you, get kind of get control of your your mind and your emotions. But one thing that you mentioned that's also equally as important is that don't let the highs get away from you as well, where you're now being too maybe overly confident in in what's going on, and which kind of sets you up right for the the, the eventual downfall, like any 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 business goes. But also makes you maybe make the wrong decisions financially if all of a sudden you are are over betting where where you you might need to be more cautious i think that that's key not just about the downs but also be aware of the highs and not letting those get the the better of you now what 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 do you do you know i'm assuming that this is a bit of a learning process for you what do what do you do on a day-to-day basis or or what do you try to remind yourself of constantly to to try to improve your mindset so that you are prepared for this as roller coaster ride
1: yeah um Well, interestingly enough, my background, uh, you know, I happen to have been a a motivational coach, a a performance speaker, so I traveled around the world doing it for a long time. But um, the challenge, the the way that I always, for me, you know, overcome the challenges and the ups and downs of running an e-commerce business is the the, the start of my day is the foundation to my day. So I will always um, start my day with um, some form of meditation and some form of exercise. So I already feel like I've accomplished something first thing in the morning, and I'll also listen to a, a podcast first thing in the morning as much as what I possibly can because, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast for you because, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you know you've got 20,000 things to do or you're anxious about the day or you're unsure about your your next step, it can be really reassuring to know that you're not the only person in that situation. So for me, it's the setup in the morning is really important. And then also um, being, God, I hate to say it, vulnerable enough or well, yeah, vulnerable enough to lean in and have those conversations with the people who you respect, whether it be a business partner or somebody who knows what they're doing, and saying the words, "I don't know, I'm not too sure what to do here." Um, I think part of the the thing that slowed me down, you know, being a typical man, was that I had to have all the answers mm. um, rather than going, "I don't know, let me, let me." ask somebody who can help me, who can help me, and being okay with saying I don't know and who can help me is really instrumental to what's been happening in our business lately.
0: Got it. So, no, I definitely uh, appreciate you sharing the beginning of your days. I think that's important to kick things off the right way. Now, what's the rest of your day like? What do you spend your day-to-day doing uh, in the business?
1: Yeah, so – you know, some days go by, and to be really honest with you, I've got no idea what I'm doing in the business. I'm not too sure if you can relate. You get to the end of the day and you kind of go, well, what did I actually do today? Um, and, and that will really vary. Um, it varies from spending time looking at the reports on Shopify. It will vary from looking at um, cash flow reports. Like I mean, we have a coaching session once a week with a business coach, um that will vary from finding models, influencers, talking content with my business partner. Uh, that will vary from production schedules and marketing schedules. Um, they're probably, you know, that will a little bit of chat about growth and expansion. So, you know, we're looking at moving into the US next year and looking at export grants. So it, it really does vary, but most of it is generally around. Uh, how do we come up with creative ideas to get more pe- people to see our product and measure that more importantly?
0: Got it. Now, when you are running the business, you, you you mentioned, of course, that you're on Shopify. What other kind of tools or applications do you rely on to help manage the and take control of the day?
1: Um, I guess there's, a, a, I mean, a variety. I mean, you know, whether that be Trello from a project management point of view. I mean, there's so much technology around us. I mean, Skype, I hate to say, is really quite relevant for us. Zero is quite relevant for us. Dropbox is quite relevant for us. I mean, all the typical uh, sort of workings within a small business uh, would be the main things that we use. But, you know, for us, it's uh, actually a lot is operating. Uh, automated through Shopify and the apps that we can put in there, um, you know things like um, Hootsuite for posting our content. They're kind of the main things that are popping to mind right now.
0: Got it. So thank you so much for your time, Johnny. So stone stonemen.com, S-T-O-N-E-M-E-N.com S T O N E M E N com is the website. What do you What do you see as the next big challenge for you guys? Where do you want to? What kind of What kind of challenges do you want to tackle on next?
1: yeah um we're we're really ready to embrace the us market next year so australia has been very good to us like i mean we ship already uh to 48 countries around the world australia being uh you know our highest biggest seller followed by the us and followed by the uk so for us next year it's about how can we um supply to our american customers quicker Um, Better, more effectively, and take away our shipping costs as well. So we're looking at uh, potentially setting up a hub um, in the U.S.
0: Awesome, sounds like a a great new market to get into. Definitely appreciate you coming on again, Johnny, to share all of your experience. Again, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Felix. Really appreciate it. Been great to be on here. And um, you know, to anyone that's listening, just keep keep rocking and rolling, keep moving forward. It's a fun ride.
0: Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode.
1: Pretty much just uh, hype up our order
0: deadline for getting a guaranteed, you know, December 25th delivery. Um, and then after that, we, we tried to hype up our gift cards. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.
1: Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.